you know, most of us know of someone who has committed suicide, but many of us do not know the pain of losing a loved one to suicide. According to uh, studies by the Centers for Disease Control uh, in 2017, suicide was the 10th leading cause of death overall in the United States, claiming the lives of over 47,000 people. Suicide was the second leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 10 and 34. That's, that's stunning. And the fourth leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 35 and 54. Imagine what that means. There were more than twice as many suicides in the United States as there were homicides in 2017. And sadly, suicide is trending upward, apparently increasing 31% in the past 18 years. And suicide among males is nearly four times higher than among females. I'm Sharon Betters, and you are listening to a Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And today we are going to be dealing with that extremely painful pathway of suicide. And I am just delighted and really humbled to be able to have a conversation today with Judy Springer. Judy's beloved husband, Scott, took his life through suicide. And Judy is passionate about offering help and hope to others who are experiencing the kind of anguish that she has experienced. You know, if you knew Judy and her husband, Scott, you would believe that they were the perfect couple, Uh, perfect family, lots of joy, lots of laughter, and they had all of that. But those who were close to Scott knew that every day was a struggle for him to choose to experience joy and to choose to live with purpose because he struggled with mental illness. And after many years of this terrible, terrible struggle, Scott saw no other way to relieve the pain than to take his own life. And I just think for a moment of what kind of pain this man was in for him to, uh, to, to take his life and uh, know that his family was going to experience such trauma. So Judy, I want to thank you so much for coming today to being willing to share your story. And I just want to welcome you. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate that. Before we start talking about the really uh, painful journey of suicide, tell us a little bit about your family. So um, Scott and I were, like you said, happily married, the kind of picture-perfect couple for about 27 years. We had made it almost to our 27th wedding anniversary. Um, We did have a lot of laughter, a lot of joy in our family. Um, We raised three beautiful grown children who are adults now walking with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And we did. We had a great marriage. We had a lot of fun a lot of laughter, but behind that laughter, there was also a lot of pain. You know, I think a lot of times when people are jokesters and are funny, sometimes it's kind of to divert pain and just kind of like, almost like Robin Williams, you look at him as just, you know, one of the funniest guys who ever lived. And yet deep down inside, he was really wrestling with a lot of pain. You know, we did, we did have a good marriage though. And so that wasn't, that didn't play into his decision. I do know that. How did mental illness affect your marriage? Well, even before I married Scott, I knew that mental illness would be a part of our marriage. Before I even accepted the ring to marry him, I, um, he had had a previous attempt at 21 years old. He had jumped out of a moving car and tried to take his life. So I knew that mental illness was going to play into our marriage. I didn't know how hard it would be or how bad it would be, but he did have 
multiple um, mental health stays throughout our marriage, lots of medications, lots of doctor visits, lots of wrestling with darkness and, and just severe depression and anxiety. So it visited us on a daily basis, but for the most part, it was under control with medications until one day they just didn't work. I believe that Scott wanted to live, but as you said in the introduction, he was in a lot of pain that, that no one really could fix. What was Scott's spiritual condition? So Scott was really rock solid in the Lord. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. And you know, that's, that brings great comfort to me because I know spiritually he was right with the Lord. He hosted a, a Bible study in our home for 14 years with multiple men that would come here on Saturday mornings to just hear the word and bring bread together and laugh together and share pain and joy. And so he was very solid in the Lord. He, he truly loved the Lord. He was very giving, very generous, very kind. And one of his godly, best godly features, features was that he was empathetic. And that empathy played out with people who wrestled with depression themselves. He was oftentimes the first person to go over and comfort somebody. If they were going through a depression, he would be right by their side and just lend an ear. And at the same time, I had to kind of caution him for, from doing that because it would sometimes bring him down because he was so empathetic, he would take on their pain and he would feel it himself. Judy, as you know, uh, because you were here for that journey in our lives, Chuck and I lost our 16-year-old son, Mark, and the grief, I just, I just didn't think I was going to survive the grief. And one of the things that was really helpful to me was people ahead of me in the journey, people who had lost children who were uh, willing to go back into their pain and to encourage us that we weren't crazy, we were normal. But I, I really respected that when I would try to get them to tell me, how long is this going to last? When is the ache going to break? They, wouldn't, they would not respond to that question. And later I realized it's because they were respecting the fact that my relationship to Mark was different than their relationship to their child. And though we probably both knew each other better than anybody else, that part of our hearts that were grieving, there were things that were unique to us. And I, I'm wondering that about uh, grieving with suicide. What is the difference in grieving suicide over a natural death, do you think? Well, as you said, I mean, grief is just, it's a horrible thing to go through and you want people to come along with you in the journey. Um, Suicide leaves a lot of unanswered questions. It leaves a lot of wrestling with what more could I have done? Um, it, you know, it, it's a stigma. You know, it's a stigma that people look at and think, well, you know, what was wrong with him? Why, you know, did they have a bad marriage? Did they have, and in our case, that wasn't the situation. It was just, it was an illness that completely consumed him. So suicide is different because there are so many questions that go along with it that people wrestle with even and and especially those in the family you know they we all wondered after scott did this what else could we have done but i mean quite honestly i mean i did everything that i could to help him and then some and in fact the day he died the very last words he spoke to me were nobody has fought with fought as hard as you have for me nobody's done what you've done i would have i would have laid my life down for him and he knew that and i think um Anybody who observed you knows that that's the truth. That's, that's the total truth. Um, now, you mentioned earlier that you are a committed Christian. And so certainly one of the questions you ask right away 
is, do you think a Christian who has committed suicide goes to heaven? Well, you know, I've never once wrestled with that question. Never once in this time did I think, could God turn him away from heaven based on his decision? And I do believe that, you know, a person is not defined by their last, by their last act on earth. Um, they're defined by the life that they lived and the choices that they made. And, and in particular, the decision to follow Christ, which Scott did make that decision and, and did follow Christ. I never wrestled with that because I knew his spiritual state and I knew you know, that God is a God who loves and, and wanted to see him get better. You know, I really believe that. And, and he did get his healing, but it just wasn't here on, on earth. So I would just say to somebody that, yes, I do believe that a person can go to heaven. And that's not an excuse to do something as horrible as that. But, uh, you know, God knows our heart. He knew Scott's heart. He knew Scott's heart was right. Well, as you think about your faith, I often wonder how do people who suffer such loss who don't have a personal relationship to Christ survive. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how your faith played out in your own grieving process and how it is playing out because this wasn't that long ago. Yeah, just a little over two years ago. And sometimes it, it seems like it just happened. It's still very raw to me. So my faith was just paramount. It was literally my anchor. Um, it, it was really where... <laughs> It became real to me. I had to live out his promises. I had to claim his promises. I had to hold on that he's my rock and my fortress and and whom shall I fear. I had to read the Psalms. And there were days when I honestly couldn't even pick up the the word. It was, it, it was some days I couldn't even utter the prayer, just help me because the pain was just so consuming. But the word became real to me. Music became very important to me. Christian music was very like a healing bomb to me. I just clung to his promises that he was never going to leave me or forsake me. And I knew that was going to be true. What, what are some of those favorite promises? Well, in particular, Romans 8.38 was very, very important to me. Um, and especially with the type of death that he, you know, suicide in particular, because I do believe that nothing, 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 not even suicide can separate us from God's love. He knew this before the foundation of time this was going to happen. That was a very important verse to me because Jesus covers past, present, and future sins. And he was covered by his blood in that. So I hung, I hung on to that and I just clung to the Psalms. The Psalms were very important to me, you know, just relating to David and just his lamenting and and the joys and the pain that he had, I, I really could relate to that. So the scripture, music, what, what are some of the other things that got you through those early days of grief? Well, you know, just having, you know, God comes in many forms. God comes in forms of the beauty of nature. He comes in the form of friends. He comes in the form of music. He comes, in, he comes alive in his word. And, you know, just having people reach out to me, text me, call me, people dropping meals off, people just dropping by to drop a cup of coffee off and just weep with me. Because sometimes there's just not words that you can, that can be spoken that can heal you. There's nothing that can be said that can heal you in a, in a trauma like this. Uh, I know how important it was for us to have people of hope around us, but not people who were saying God must have wanted him more than, um, you know, he needed him more than you and those kind of silly things. People try to, I know their intent is good, but it's hard to be gracious sometimes when you hear those kinds of things. Was there ever anything that anyone did that you thought, oh, 
I kind of wish they hadn't said that, or I kind of wish they hadn't done that, just as a means of helping others know how to walk alongside someone who is experiencing the kind of pain that you're describing. Yeah, I would say the one thing that was really um, kind of frustrating, but I know people meant well, was that people would try to kind of counsel me in this, you know, what to do kind of thing. And I felt like they hadn't earned the right to counsel me because they hadn't lived or walked in my shoes. And so they really didn't truly understand the pain. And I, but, you know, I knew that they meant well, so I received it the way it was meant to be received. But I think it's, it's imperative that a person doesn't go in and start trying to counsel somebody and say, oh, this is what you should do. Or sometimes it's just sitting next to somebody and just letting them cry and just letting them share their heart and not dishing out advice. I did have a lot of people that put me in contact with people who had also suffered in this way. And that was a huge help to me because I knew by meeting and talking with these people, these people that I could actually survive. I might actually get through this because I remember meeting with one woman in particular. It was shortly after this had happened. And, um, a good friend of mine put me in touch with this woman and her husband had done the same thing. And I remember her coming over to me and, and I remember looking at her saying, how did you get through this? I just don't think I'm going to do, I, I can't, I don't think I can do it another day. And, and she was it just to see her living and breathing and surviving told me I could get through this. Somehow I was going to get through it. And, and it's really just a one day at a time kind of thing. You are a naturally joyful person. I mean, anybody that knows you when they're around you, they know that you're, you're very caring. You are very interested in other people. But as we've talked, there have been times where you've said, I have to choose joy. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I think there were two responses that I could have taken with this um, traumatic event in my life. Um, I think, and I think we all have a response to trauma or sorrow in our life. We can, we have an option to be mad at God and say, why, you know, and, and, that, and that's when I cling to that verse that, uh, and John, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so I purposely said, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to chase it. I'm going to look for it. I'm going to try to find it. And it's hard. I mean, because the black cloud followed me, it still follows me. I, but you have to rebuke it mm-hmm. and make it and just claim that God is good and he's going to make this right one day. He's going to wipe away all our tears. He's going to make it right. And that's my hope. I was speaking to a friend and we were talking about this very thing. And we concluded that, you know, when you're fresh in grief and it's a long time, like, like two years really is nothing for the pain that you have experienced. And, but trying to choose to look around and see, as someone said, the thousand little ways that God is blessing you even though there's a great big hole in your heart, that there are other blessings that we could miss. And I remember after Mark died, hearing that laughter is good medicine. I think it's in the Bible somewhere. Proverbs, and, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's there. And, um, and I thought, you know what? I am going to laugh. I'm going to try to laugh with just as much emotion as I cry. And so when I would see uh, a sitcom that I really liked and something was funny, I would laugh really hard. Probably those in the room thought I was a little bit crazy, but I thought I'm taking my medicine. I'm going to choose laughter 
even though the heart is weeping and, and broken. So I, you're right. It, it, there are choices that we have to make. And, but I would caution anyone who is listening, who has a friend, you're thinking, well, I wish my friend would choose joy. You have to give people time and you have to let them go at their own pace. What do you think about that, Judy? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, there's a time for joy and there's a time for sorrow. It's not like we should just say, oh, wow, everything's great. And let's just laugh everything away because we really do have to completely 100% lean into the grief. I mean, believe me, I have shut the door and wailed um, (laughs) a lot. And so, you know, there is a time for laughter and there's a time for joy. But I 100% agree with you on that, that laughter is good medicine. And you have to look at reasons to smile. Look, Look for reasons for joy. But at the same time, grasping the fact that you're grieving and it's okay to grieve and it's okay to cry and it's, it's okay to fall apart. I still fall apart. You know, it's, I think it's part of the journey. Well, I, right after Mark's death, we were told that the second year of grief was going to be harder than the first. And I couldn't even begin to imagine how that could be true, but it was true. And I remember you telling me the same thing, that that's been your experience. Why do you think that's true? Well, for me, I really felt like the first year I was completely anesthetized. I felt like I was a mummy, (laughs) just kind of going through the motions, no feeling, just like very rote, very, this is what I have to do. I couldn't feel things. I just felt numb, completely numb. I, I, I felt like it was just a bad nightmare. And so then you go into the second year and that anesthesia wears off, you know, and you start to really feel the pain, like, okay, this is real. He really isn't coming back. And this is what I've got to deal with. And so it becomes more raw mm-hmm. and more real. And so I would agree that for me, going into the second year has been very difficult. So as I think about that, you're in this little bit past the second year, but why are you willing to go back into your pain to share your story? And what do you think Scott would think about you sharing his story as you are? Well, I think he'd be smiling down. In fact, I think he is smiling knowing that somehow somebody's going to hear this message that needs to hear this message that needs hope. I'm living proof that you can get through it. I truly didn't think in early days I could function. In fact, I almost couldn't function the first several months. And so, you know, you do get through it, but you just have to be purposeful on doing the next thing and, and really choosing to do what doing the right thing, you know, whether it's getting up in the morning and just some days it was just like, Hey, I got a shower. This is good. I actually got a shower or maybe I just ate that meal. I didn't want to eat, but I made myself do it. I, you know, it's kind of cliche, but doing the next thing I think was really important for me. Um, so I want to share my story because I'm here, I'm living proof that, you know, you can get through it. And I mean, honestly, out of all the difficult things that could have happened to me in my life, this bar none to me would, is probably the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Well, what advice would you give to someone who has just heard that horrific news? Well, the first thing I would say to them is that it's not your fault. You know, I think it's very easy to want to blame yourself and it's, it's easy to want to even blame others. I've heard of other people, you know, focusing on, well, if, so-and-so didn't say such and such, maybe he or she or she wouldn't have done such a thing. And somebody who's mentally stable is never going to choose an out like this if they're healthy. So they're, what you have to recognize they're not in a healthy brain. And so they made a choice that was 
in an unhealthy state. And so it's not your fault. That's the first thing that I would tell them. And then I would tell them to be kind to yourself, you know, just really be gentle and allow yourself to feel the pain. You know, you can't go around it, you can't go under it, can't, you've got to go through it. I mean, I know of people who have grieved and just said, okay, well, I'm going to move on now. And, you know, for me, I literally cried every single day for almost two years. And so that was just how I dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Tears for me were healing. Sometimes it was just closing the door and just crying my eyes out until I couldn't cry anymore. And so, you know, just be gentle to yourself and, and just do things that, that are going to make you feel better, you know, whether it's taking a walk or, you know, having a friend over, but whatever you do, don't, don't stay in that dark place in the bed under the covers because it's not going to fix anything. Mm. And certainly there are days when you want to do that. And I think there's a, you know, there's liberty to do that and it's good to do that, but it's not an option that you should choose every day. Mm. You've got to, you got to go through the pain, sadly. How about memories? How, how do they help? You know, I, at first I really wrestled with wanting to see, you know, actual pictures and DVDs because it was too painful to watch. I just, I knew that, I mean, I would fall apart. And so I have kind of avoided them, but I feel like if you're going to go through grief, you have to really face and do the things that are the most challenging. And so I forced myself to look at those memories and, you know, I found myself laughing and saying, thank you, God, you gave me good memories. You know, I'm thankful. I, I've chosen to focus on the things that were good instead of, instead of the loss, I've, I've really tried hard to focus on what I had and the blessings. And I think if we focus on the memories and the good times and the the years that God gave us that were great, you know, that brings me joy. And if I start thinking about what I don't have, because I'm sad, I don't have my husband now. I don't, I'm not going to grow old with him, but I can't, I can't stay in that place. It's okay to think that way sometimes, but to really focus in on the joy is the key, I think. We've touched on it a little bit, but what advice would you give to someone on how to come alongside uh, a friend or a loved one who has experienced the suicide of their loved one? So I, the first thing I would say is just be there for them, you know, whether it's to go over and, you know, bring a meal, like I said, or clean a refrigerator out, or just to listen to them and just hold them, let them talk you know, let them talk, let them cry. I know early on, I remember probably the first week I would, my house was filled with visitors. It was just a nonstop door. And in a lot of ways, I felt like it was in a fishbowl because some people were there that probably shouldn't have been there that maybe weren't as close, who meant well, and that was fine. And I know they meant well, but I wanted to grieve in privacy too. I didn't want the whole world to be seeing me bawling my eyes out. I wanted, you know, so I'd say give them space you know, don't, you know, inundate them with, you know, in the beginning, it's really the months and the years following that they're going to need you. In the beginning, everybody's there. Everybody's bringing casseroles and and coffee and, and it's great. It's wonderful. And you feel loved, but it's really the months and the years that follow that are the loneliest. And, Mm. you know, and so it's, you know, even today when I get a text from somebody that just says, you know, Hey, I know I'm just thinking and praying for you. I know it's, it's rough. You know, so I think that's important. Be there, not just in the beginning, but in months and years to come. I think you raise a good point about people who want to be there, but they're, they're not the close friends that you're really hungering for at that time. And so it takes a lot of wisdom 
for all of us to know when, when we need to appear and maybe appear and be there for a few minutes and leave and respect the privacy that the family needs. And I remember thinking, uh, because our house was the same way, was packed with people who I know they loved us. And I thought, I, I hope they're protecting our privacy. You know, I, I hope that they're not sharing things about us that, because we were at our worst, we weren't putting on a show. What you saw was what you got. And so I appreciate you bringing that up to Judy. This one thing I did want to add that I thought was really important, um, especially in, in light of a suicide, don't ask questions. I, I had a few people that would, that showed up. And again, I know they meant well, but they were asking questions. And, you know, it's like you said, you need your, you need your privacy. You need to respect that, you know, some things just you don't want to share, you know, and you don't need detail about how it happened or what happened or whatever. It's, that's, that's kind of a sacred ground, I think. I think that's a really good point. As we're uh, wrapping up our time together, Judy, I want you just to imagine that you're sitting across the table from uh, a woman, we'll say a woman who's just lost her husband to suicide. What, and you only have a few minutes to talk to her, just a, a couple of minutes. What, what would you share with her that you hope would give her encouragement and help her to walk by faith herself in that really terrible journey that she's beginning? Well, I would first of all tell her that as cliche as it sounds, that God truly is with her. He's not going to leave her. He's going to be there every step of the way. I would tell her to just really lean into the pain, get into the word as much as she can. And honestly, a grief devotional, I think, was super helpful for me in the beginning because regular devotionals are great. But when you're dealing specifically about grief, you want to know what does God have to say about grief? You know, he loves us and he's going to comfort us you know, and he's close to the brokenhearted. And, you know, that's comforting when you're grieving. That's comforting to know that even though you don't always tangibly feel God, you know, right in the room with you, look for the blessings that are going to come your way um, and receive those as blessings of his goodness. Judy, thank you so much for sharing with us your story and Scott's story. And and I agree, knowing Scott, I, I think he'd be very proud of you for sharing his story in a way that's going to offer help and hope to others who are hurting. And I'm Sharon Betters, and you have been listening to a Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. You can find more stories like Judy's if you go to markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. We offer all of our resources for free. They are designed to equip and enable and encourage you in your own pathway that God has marked out for you. And most of our stories uh, address really painful, difficult life crises, just as you've heard today from my friend, Judy Springer. So visit markinc.org where you will find more help and hope. And we can offer these resources for free because people who believe in the vision of Mark Inc. Ministries to offer help and hope to hurting people are underwriting the work financially. So if you've been touched by this story or any of our resources, I hope that you will consider joining our partners and uh, giving to us financially. You can go to markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you can safely give. Thank you so much for listening.